10 o'clock Sunday night. Welcome on in. Eway Sports. Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. 989 FM, 1340 AM. Tim B and Ryan with you here in Las Vegas. My co-host, as always, TomBartonSports.com. Mr. Tommy Barton. And Tom, a lot of the same as we spoke about last night. Game seven all over the board. We're going to talk baseball tonight. But I want to kick things off by saying that uh, technically we just had a game seven end, Tommy, if you want to update everybody on that one. Yeah, look, late in the game after a game where Calgary had nearly 60 shots on goal and the Dallas Stars, uh, Ottinger was on his head. Calgary wins it 3-2. Canada goes absolutely nuts. And Calgary is moving on. Another overtime, another just ridiculous, ridiculous playoff series for the NHL. Uh, This place is going crazy. Everyone's going crazy. The best performance that we have seen in a playoff series, maybe ever, by a goalie. I mean, maybe ever, uh, was tonight. For that game, what Ottinger did, and he takes the loss, Tim. I I mean, it was just a barrage of shot after shot after shot. And he... (laughs) He takes the loss. It's a shame. It really is. And we've seen, you know, how, how, you know, this game basically goes down to the last minutes of the overtime period before Goudreau, a guy you talked about last night. We, when we previewed game seven of this, this matchup that number one, we didn't expect Dallas to be this far into the series. And number two, you said, where's Johnny Goudreau? Well, maybe he showed up at the right time. Well, obviously he showed up at the right time, Calgary, but maybe this is something that catapults that momentum into the next round as we're going to have an all Canada series in round number two. <laughs> Pretty funny, Tim. I was, uh, I was on social media calling out <laughs> my guy Panarin going, where is he? The series he wins the, <laughs> wins the game with a shot. And last night I'm calling out Johnny Grado, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I, for wh- whoever wants to send me money, you know, send me some cash and I'll call out the next guy because right. it has been absolutely ridiculous. I, I mean, this was uh, this was big players stepping up in big ga- big spots. I mean, yep. the Rangers game we'll get into in a minute, but Igor stepped up here. Johnny Gordo stepped up. Panarin stepped up. The Stars stepping up in big spots when their team needs him. And I'll tell you, it's pretty funny because the studio team was talking about how frustrated Johnny Gordo was. He was getting shot after shot on goal. I think he had six shots on goal, and you can see the physical frustration because they weren't weird shots or yeah, I kind of just dump it into the goal. No, 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 they were good design shots and he finally finally breaks ottinger what will get lost is just the dallas stars and what ottinger did in this game but calgary moves on it's going to be calgary edmonton and that is just going to be an awesome series for hockey awesome series for canada and something cool to watch for all of us a good defensive team against the edmonton oilers and mcdavid and leon i think what we saw tonight in this game was from the beginning that you could feel, you know, sitting in our homes watching this, Tom, the, the, the proverbial pressure, uh, you could cut it with a knife, right? Is so tense in that, in that arena. And, and the flames came out that way. Dallas got a quick score to open this up and that place, they, you know, they automatically took that crowd right out of that game because the, the pregame atmosphere was, was wonderful watching it on TV. It was better than Vegas's pregame, which is, as we all know, Tom, that's the number one pregame show in all of sports. Not just hockey, that's but all very sports. Very debatable. 
very debatable. You could feel the sarcasm coming out of my voice when I when I said that, right? But yeah, <laughs> all joking aside, that place was was lit up and ready to go, and they took them right out of it quickly. And it seemed like to me, any type Calgary would get back into the game, score, the crowd was back in it. Dallas was there to, to neutralize it, but there in the end, that place was just. I, I could feel the momentum just never leaving Calgary's side. I, and I didn't want to say, like, in the overtime, even as it got further and further along, thinking, like, oh, Dallas is going to find a way to win this. I never thought that. I was always about, you know, Calgary will win this one way or another. And, and that's with the human wall playing goalie for, for Dallas tonight. Yeah, and that's that's really what he was, the human wall. Um, you know, it's funny because when you get to the, the NHL playoffs, and we have spoken about it many times, it's not always the best team that wins. It's you know, the hot team. It's the, the, the guy that just won't let their team sort of die. And we've watched that. The last three game sevens that we just watched, McDavid would not let his team go down. Igor stood on his head for a lot of it, but it was Panarin that would not let his team go down. As good as the Calgary Flames defense was tonight, Johnny Gordeau said, I am not going to let my team lose. It is amazing. And I know we're in the sports world. And we sometimes forget to take a step back here, Tim, right? Sometimes we don't take that step back and we don't really look at things from a a unique perspective. But let's take a step back for a moment and just how good do you have to be to not only make the NHL, be a star in the NHL, and then say, I'm so good, I'm up against all of these other tremendously good players, but my will is that I am just not going to let my team lose. It's a feat that we take for granted in sports, but on a night like tonight, you just can't. You just cannot take that advantage. I, these guys are dead tired. They're dragging all over the field and all over the ice, and Gord, Johnny Gordeau was seriously frustrated up against, you called it a brick wall, and they get it done. You know, it doesn't matter how it gets done, just kind of get it done. Markstrom stopped uh, some big shots there in overtime for the Flames as well. Not not to be outdone, but he just didn't face the amount. Of, I mean, three times, almost three times as many shots for Ottinger. But Calgary moves on the two seed. Tommy, we said it. They'll take on the five seed, the Edmonton Oilers, a battle of Canada in the second round. So we saw in rounds uh, one, Dallas kind of neutralize the Calgary scoring machine. Now we get two offensive teams in the second game, Edmonton and Calgary. And as much as the Kings tried to neutralize Edmonton, there were games where Edmonton just got loose. How do you expect this game, uh, the series to go with Calgary? Both these teams like to put the puck in the net. Well, they do, but I think everybody's already looking at Calgary's defense and, and what they just did. Um, Calgary's defense all year was very, very good. And I think it's going to be dubbed once again, just like the Kings were. Hey, it's defense against offense. When that came out, I kept telling everybody, yeah, but on the season, <laughs> Edmonton actually had a better defense. On the season, since their coaching change, they had a top 10 defense overall. When you turn around and you look at Calgary, yeah, they had a better defense over the course of the year, and everyone's expecting all these these big-time scoring opportunities. But we just watched. They could play defense with the best of them. They can neutralize. And what they do is they kind of play keep away. You know, we watched it. If you watch the Star Series, and, and it's the Stars who – Look, sorry, Dallas, I'm going to jump on your grave here a little bit. But it's the Stars who they just don't have, they don't really have that guy. They don't have that top scorer. They don't have that superstar that you're like, uh-oh, I'm very worried about this guy. They just don't have that, right? 
what are they going to do with McDavid and Leon, uh, you know, and <laughs> everybody else that makes up that team can shoot. Everybody, uh, Nick Nurse is there. I mean, every single person that touches uh, Yamamoto is having had a good series, right? Everybody that touches that puck can shoot. Do they play? And we talk about this, Tim, when we talk about other sports. So if you guys aren't hockey fans, listen, we talk about this when we talk about football. Do you take away that number one guy? Bill Belichick has a philosophy. And Bill Belichick is football, I understand, but just, just follow me here. Bill Belichick has a philosophy that your number one guy will never beat us. I am willing to watch your number two guy go crazy. I'm willing to watch all of that. But I am going to absolutely eliminate your number one threat. We've watched in the NBA guys go, okay, look, forget about it. I'm going to go the other way. You can let your number one threat. We're going to let Kevin Durant go off for 60 points tonight. But as long as we maintain the rest of the team, it's okay. We've watched that. I am really curious how Calgary is going to come out. Do they just go out there and say, we are neutral. We are not letting Connor McDavid beat us this, this series. We are going to neutralize on him. We're going to d- play defense. I don't know if you can do that with a healthy dry saddle, but he's not healthy, Tim. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the philosophy they go with. Or do you go with the philosophy of, you know what, we just got to play our defense. We got to kind of waste the clock and kind of, like they did tonight. Get it into the corner, take 10 seconds off, 15 seconds. Let it dump down the ice, take 15, 20 seconds, and just shorten the game. I'm really curious how Calgary is going to do this. I, to me, I was playing it. Drysaddle is not 100%. McNurse was not 100%. I am just doing everything in my power to take Connor McDavid away. These two teams met four times in the regular season. They split the games, Tom, three of the four games over seven goals. So seven, eight. They did four in a matchup in March, and then a crazy one at the end of March. They scored 14 combined goals in that game. So, like we just went over, right, the the, the theory that the defense is there for Calgary when actually it's not, and, and that's, that's what we're going to see. Who's going to have the better defense in round two? Because I don't know that if you don't have that defensive mentality already, you don't change that. You can't change it in the playoffs and all of a sudden become a trapping team. These teams are going to go for broke, I think. Yeah, it could be. I, I mean, we could see, you know, Gordo against McDavid kind of prop plays every night, right? Uh, being two points every single night. I mean, we, we could see something like that. Um, it wouldn't shock me, Tim. I just don't know. Look, what we know about this these playoffs are, generally speaking, they have been unders. And you look at the last seven games by the Calgary Flames. I gave this out, by the way, the under to all of my fans all of my fans on my sports card network this morning on the show for free. I gave it to all of my clients at TomBartonSports.com. I gave it to you guys last night. By the way, Tim, I told you not to parlay it. If you would have not parlayed my five games and just took all of them, you would have won four or five. The only game yeah. I lost was the one. I told you the Mavs money line. I yeah. told you Calgary. I told you the Calgary under. I told you the Rangers. We would have yeah. done really well if you didn't parlay. But, yeah. but, you know, what I've noticed with this Calgary team is it's the first one to three. No team that lost – any of these games in this seven-game series, Tim, scored three goals. None of them. So if that philosophy is working, you don't think they're going to slow this down? I, I think me and you are at odds. You know, we don't argue a lot. Tim, I think that we're going to get a little bit of a defensive series here. I'm not going to tell you that it's going to be, you know, three, two games, but the total is going to be set at six and a half in some of these games. And I, I'm kind of looking at the unders. I think we're going to see some four, two games. 
I think we're going to see the general defense playing real good, especially early on. I I know we'll get we'll get one game, probably two games, where we get eight, nine, ten goals. You know, one of those ridiculous games. But I think this is a defensive series. Okay. See how it goes. We'll see how it goes. I think for the sport of hockey, and I'm not trying to show any non-American uh, patriotism here, Tommy, but for the sport of hockey, this is the biggest matchup in the playoffs now, right? That Oh, absolutely, yeah. For the, the strength of the sport and, and how long it's been since the Canadian team has won and how long it's been since the Canadian team has, you know, obviously Montreal was, was there, but they didn't deserve to be there, but they were there. We really got a chance at looking at a winner of this series has a great opportunity to win the cup. I, I still don't think it happens, but I'm just saying as far as um, eyes should be peeled on this, and you know that for me, I think Edmonton gets it done, Tom. I really do. I think they, they squeeze through this series in six games. Well, Tim, you know, it's not anti-American. I, I had Jay Paris on this morning. He actually literally wrote a book on Shohei Otani. Um, when he was coming to America and me and him were talking about, and there is a parallel, don't worry, <laughs> but he and me and him were talking to him uh, about Shohei Otani. And I said, you know, if you're not an angels basher, if you don't hate the angels and you are just a baseball fan, everybody should be rooting for the angels because it's good for baseball to have Otani in the postseason. It's good for baseball to have Mike Trout in the postseason. It's great for the game. Well, you don't have to be an anti-American, Tim, to understand. Canada being in the Stanley Cup Finals is good for the game. Yeah. When we gave our predictions, predictions, I told you, the best thing for hockey would be Toronto against Edmonton. It would be the best thing for hockey. And while we're sitting here and we're celebrating Calgary, Connor McDavid being in the finals would be the greatest thing for hockey to happen since Wayne Gretzky. And I'm not overshooting it, guys. Because you would then be able to market him the way that they have not been able to market him, the way that baseball has not been able to market Mike Trout, to take your biggest star and young star, to take your biggest star in the sport, the unquestioned, as good as Austin Matthews' year was, the unquestioned best player in your sport, the young guy that's going to carry the sport, put him on a big stage and have him be the guy and him lead the team to – Canadian gold, maybe, or the Canadian Cup, or even just the finals. I mean, you couldn't write a better script. If the NHL is writing a script, that's what you want. So it's not an anti-American thing. I think you're just a hockey fan that's going, you know what? This is good for my sport. This is good for the sport that I root for. Same thing with me with the Angels. Look, I can't stand the Angels for what they did to the Yankees years ago, right? But I'm I'm a massive baseball fan. If the Yankees can't win this year, I'm rooting for Trout and Otani to win. Because it would yeah. be great for the game. And I'm not an Oiler fan, guys. I know I talk about McDavid all the time, and everyone's like, you love McDavid. I do. I, I, I do. He's my favorite player, obviously. Okay? Uh, but I'm a Ranger fan. But I'm not dumb enough to sit here and tell you that Connor McDavid winning the Cup wouldn't be great for the sport and anybody that watches the sport. So, no, I don't think you have to qualify and say it's an anti-American thing. It is just a reality thing that it would be great for hockey. It's almost... It's almost a criminal that there's only seven teams in the National Hockey League that are from Canada. If you really think about it, right, Tom? I'm not saying it should be half, but you only have seven teams out of, what, 30-plus. The odds are very low that, that you get a team that's going to sneak through into the finals, like Edmonton or like Calgary. I'm sorry, like Montreal did last year. 
very lucky to do that. And now here you go again with just the way the, the, the playoff bracket is set up this year. They're knocking each other out, essentially. So we could, again, end up with no team from Cal- uh, at Canada in the finals. But we're going to have fun watching because we saw Toronto, a uh, hell of a series with Tampa. And now we're going to get a great series in round two, I'm pretty sure, as well. Tim, that glass that's sitting in front of you, is that half full or half empty? Because it sounds like it's half empty to me. You're saying, well, they're going to knock each other off. How about this? They are guaranteed to have at least one team in the Western Conference Finals. Yeah. I mean, there's the half a half full concept, right? They are guaranteed to have a team in the Western Conference Finals. It's either going to be Edmonton or Calgary. And, you know, when you start to think ahead, and it's so terrible to think ahead, especially in sports, especially in, in the hockey playoffs and uh, what we're looking at, but when you start to kind of sit back and you do look ahead, you go, hmm, Edmonton against the Avs. It would be David against Goliath, right? Except you have Connor McDavid, okay, against Goliath. That's what you have. It, the entire country would probably jump on McDavid's bandwagon, and most of this country would also because it's McDavid and because they're the underdogs. That's just good for the sport. And then if it's Calgary, I think Calgary feels like they have a shot against the Avs. I think Calgary feels like, hey, you know what? We, we do have a shot. So it's no layup. And I'm already putting the abs in. Yes, I already am. So don't question that. I am definitely already putting the abs forward. I, I don't I don't know if St. Louis wins the game. But you see what I'm saying? I mean, you're looking at it and saying, oh, they could be knocked out. And they could not get to another Stanley Cup. They haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1993. But I'm looking at it and saying they are guaranteed to have a team in the Western Conference Finals. That's pretty cool. Game one of the Battle of Canada will be Wednesday. So taking a look at maybe not even from a, a betting perspective, Tom, because I know for a long time the show was only considered a betting show. Funny. Really shows how people listen, huh? Uh, hey, that's okay. You, Let it be, Tim. Uh, we, yeah. we were ahead of the curve. How many, how many years were we, we were, you know, get, uh, this week, just yesterday, you know, PASPO was uh, four years ago. Uh, we we had a betting show on for about a you know almost a decade before that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Eight years before time, we had our own betting show. There you go. You guys Very just talked about betting, right? No, yeah, we actually know sports. <laughs> Anyways, where, where do you look at the both teams coming off emotional series? Now you have a three day or two days off, Monday, Tuesday. Is there an advantage here for anybody, or is this like you think they're just in playoff mode and this is the way we go? I think there's a huge advantage for Edmonton, a huge advantage. They get the extra day rest, of course, and while they did have to go seven, and, you know, look, that game was kind of a grueling game, it was at home, Tim. It was a game where they, you know, they played really from in front most of the game, two of the three periods they played in front. I don't want to say it was a rocking chair game because it certainly wasn't, but it wasn't the emotional game of Calgary just played. Game seven on a Sunday, late at night, at home, uh, going into overtime. And like I said, the frustration level that they had. Edmonton was playing a game where, okay, you know what, they were missing some shots and whatnot, but there wasn't a frustration level. The announcers were talking about it. The intermission Report was talking about the, the pure frustration. You come off of that and then off of the high winning an overtime game and game seven, and you come off and you come down from all that, Tim, I'm sorry. There has got to be an emotional letdown there. There has to be 
an emotional letdown. You could say the same thing about Edmonton, but it's not as much. If Edmonton was playing somebody else, if Edmonton was playing the abs, I would say the same thing about Edmonton. But when you talk about the emotional letdowns, there's a much bigger emotional letdown here for Calgary. It just has to be an emotional letdown here for Calgary. We'll also get a shorter day, right? I mean, they also will not get the same amount of rest um, as Edmonton. That's a full extra day. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a full extra day. And they just played a full extra, what, 12 minutes or so. So, yeah, I think I think advantage clearly in Edmonton's side. Edmonton, Calgary, Colorado, St. Louis on the west side of the bracket. Tommy and I both have Edmonton and Colorado advancing to the Western Conference Finals. So let's move to the east, Tom. And uh, really, this, this game today, the ups and downs of, of this hockey game, crazy. Again, the atmosphere in Madison Square Garden was off the charts. And Panarin, the the hometown hero, huh? He, he comes in huge. How about this game? I, you're you're a Rangers fan. Uh, emotionally watching this, not not that any money was involved, but just emotionally watching this. How was how draining was this to be a fan of the Rangers? This entire series was draining, and I actually just wrote an article on this. You know, I I, I write an article once a week uh, for one of the New York newspapers here, and I just wrote an article on this, and, and I got real into it because. The emotional strain was, was just massive. You went all year enjoying this team. All year where your goalie was not only up, and he's going to win, uh, you know, the best. You know, I mean, he's going to win that trophy uh, of the best goalie in the league, or it's a disgrace if he doesn't. Not only is he going to win best goalie in the league, but he's going to be in the top three. I don't think he wins the MVP, okay? But he's going to be in the top three. He was top three nominee. And he gets yanked three games. So your entire season... You're watching your season as the series unfolds as, all right, we had a great year, young. They are a young team. Kreider stepped up. Oh, man, Igor is the star. And right like Lundqvist, we had Lundqvist for a while. Now we got Igor. Oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Adam Fox is a hometown guy, best defenseman in the league. Oh, here we go. And you're looking at this team, you're going, man, this could be this could be the start of like a run of, I don't want to say dynasty, but multiple championships. This could be the start of, the Rangers constantly being in the playoffs and constantly being in the hunt and right on top. I mean, this is how the Rangers fans looked at this season. And if they lost to the Penguins, they lost to the Penguins. Okay, no problem. We all knew, hey, it's a growing process, right? They're still a young team. But you can't lose to the Penguins and and Igor looks like garbage. You can't lose to the Penguins and Panarin couldn't be found. Okay, I mean, Kreider had a a decent series. But those two guys, it was awful. The newspapers... In New York, the Twitter feeds in New York, the conversation was, is Igor a playoff failure already? Can we count on him? Is he only a regular season guy? I mean, they were destroying him. Where did Panarin go? What's going on? You know, is he the superstar we thought he was? So all of the good feelings, Tim, that Ranger fans had, watch starting to slip away. And the only way you could erase it all is to win game seven. And you won game six, and then it's, okay, now it's at home. Now it's at home. What, what are you going to do? Igor had a great game today. He really did, but he was down, right? He was down in that game. And who wins it? Panarin wins it. It was up and down, back and forth. The goal by Pittsburgh should not have been counted. It was very, very clear. And, again, it's not just me. The announcers literally said it. That it, it was a very clear um, stick over the, the, the goal knock in, I mean, to everyone's eye, they gave him the goal. 
Seconds later, they went down, you know, a, on a breakaway, just a, a weak goal. The only bad thing I could say about Igor all day. The Rangers, by the way, their tying goal, they ripped the helmet off. There's a helmet controversy going on. We didn't know what that was going to be. I mean, Tim, this game had more emotion than, than any game. I watched the entire Calgary game, and I had money on the game, okay? This was a great game late. Early on, that Calgary game was kind of, okay, you know what? It's a regular game. No, from the opening gun, <laughs> the Ranger game was an emotional roller coaster. And now the Rangers can breathe because you got through the first round. If the Rangers do not advance and they don't beat Carolina, who they're actually the underdogs to, if they don't advance and they don't beat Carolina, Tim, every Ranger fan can say, okay, we're building something special. Right. I mean, you know, Igor stepped up in a game seven. We know Panarin in a clutch spot. We can count on him. Here we go. They had to have that for the fan base, for their team. It almost game seven almost became a must win, not only for this year, but for the building process of the next three, four, five years, what they're trying to do in New York, just because the way that the playoffs developed your MVP candidate was yanked three games in a row. They, the Penguins scored 14 goals in two games, Tim. 14 goals in two games? It's unbelievable. So for me, it wasn't only the emotions of this game, which was intense. It was the emotion of what are you building as a team? This, is, this was the future right in your hands. If they had lost this game, this playoff series would have been remembered by the playoff series that Panarin, our star, couldn't get it done, and the playoff series where everything that we are building on our next 10 years, you know, the best goalie in the league can't get it done. That's what this series would have been remembered by. Now, Tim, it's all washed away. It's all erased, right? You don't care that Igor gave up a lot of goals. It doesn't matter. In a game seven, he stood on his head for a lot of this game. He did. The Penguins outshot them, outplayed them. He did amazing things. Igor stepped up, Panarin hit the last shot, and the Rangers are back on track to be that next great team. Down 3-1 in the series. You said that they'd given up back-to-back seven-goal games. They win game five. They win game six on the road. They win game seven in overtime when trailing. And the New York Rangers advance, take on Carolina in round two. So we talked about momentum with the last series. Where's the momentum lie? Obviously, the Rangers on a complete high right now. Carolina, really a gritty, tough, tough series against Boston to get there. That went seven games. So even though Carolina is the favorite, Tom, what are you looking at game one? Do you ride the high with with the Rangers, or do you think that they have to come down from emotional letdown as well? Well, here's the thing, Tim. Let me ask you the hypothetical question. You know the answer. I know the answer, okay? <laughs> and that's how I'm going to answer this. Do you believe that a guy like Igor Shashankin, okay, who gave up 25 goals in this series, Tim, do you believe that that is the real Igor? Or is it the Igor that never gave up more than 24 goals in any month this entire year? That's how bad he was this series. That's how good he was the entire year. And he got it back in game seven. I think the Carolina Hurricanes are in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. They are a defensive team, number one overall. The Rangers are number two overall. The Carolina Hurricanes, though, they don't have that guy, you know, that they count on. They have a couple of decent players that you, you could you could be afraid of offensively, but it's not real. They're going up against a team that is now playing with free money. They'll be slight underdogs, not big underdogs, 
But like I said, they just conquered the beast. They got out of the first round. This young team is gelling. The guys that had to step up, Kreider scored, Panarin scored, Fox had a good defensive game, and Igor shut him down for game seven. That's all they're going to remember. I'm still under the belief that, look, Vasilevsky is in a, a world of his own over the last three years, but I'm still under the belief that Igor is the best goalie in the NHL this year. And because he had three bad games in the playoffs is not going to change my opinion. I think he writes the ship. I think he stands on his head. I think he knows he's got fresh life here. I think Carolina's in not a little bit of trouble, but a lot of trouble. I picked the Rangers to go to advance here, Tim. You knew I, I picked them already uh, to, to beat Pittsburgh. A lot of people had Pittsburgh. The, the lines in Vegas were about 110 either way, depending on, on what you liked. I know I saw in Atlantic City 120 of the Rangers, but that made sense. Um, in Pittsburgh or in Philadelphia, it was 120 to Pittsburgh. So it, it was about a pick them. I took the Rangers there. I expect similar things here. I think Carolina's probably going to be about a 130 favorite or so. And again, I'm taking the Rangers. I took them before time. Nothing has changed. I didn't like what I saw in the middle of that series, but I certainly liked what I saw at the end. And I still have to use what did I watch over the course of the season. Could be a, a goalie controversy in Carolina as well. We know Ranta, the, the guy in, in Series 1, getting the, the win against Boston. But Freddie Anderson was the goalie most of the year, Tommy. Lower body injury missed the first round. He could be available here in round two, you know, this, this is a tough spot to be in. If you're trying to go with the, the goaltender, you know, we already talked about Igor gets second chance at life here. He starts over at zero, zero. If Ranta was, was the, was the guy for him. And they, you know, obviously that, that if Freddie Anderson's ready to go, what do you do? Do you pull the trigger quickly if they decide to keep Ranta in the net? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, yeah, it, it it's very possible, Tim. But this is a this is a, more about the defense than the goal. Like where the Rangers have to rely upon their goal. And I, look, the Rangers defense is fantastic, but where the Rangers have to rely upon their goalie, I don't think Carolina does. And maybe I'm wrong. Do you do you think that they're a goal driven team? I don't think so. You know, to me, it, it almost doesn't matter because their defense is so good. They're not going to see a lot of shots. They're not going to go that way. Um, I know that they're saying that he's he's ready to be a role player. He's ready to do some some things. Yeah, I get it. I don't think it matters, Tim. To me, Igor is going to get the attention, obviously, because he, he is who he is, and he's done what he's done this year. Uh, but for me, it's more of Carolina's defense where it's the Rangers goalie. Ping, Rangers the four seed, and the Hurricanes will be the two seed. Be fun. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with you, Tom. I like the momentum New York has right now, and I think you're right that when you get to reset, and and Igor can say, you know what, those games are gone. I came up big in Game Seven in the crazy pressure-filled situation. I feel good, and I think yeah. That- and let's not let's not forget that they. It's not that they just won Game Seven, Tim. They won six and seven. Yeah. You know, Five, it six, was seven. two games in a row. I mean, winning that game six w- was was powerful for them. I know, look, it was an offensive game, right? But winning that game six was pretty powerful for them. Five, six, and seven, Tom. But yes, you're Five, right, six, sitting seven, on the road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes. In a in a hostile environment with a against a franchise with with still they may be a little bit older in the tooth, but there's still a lot of veterans there, and that's a hockey city. It's it's a tough place to play, no doubt about it. 
Um, right. And, yeah. and again, they didn't put, you know, while, while they did pull Igor out of, out of uh, the games where he just looked God awful. Okay. And he really did look awful. He looked good tonight. He looked real good in game six, despite giving up those three goals. They were, they were tough goals. He looked good um, uh, in game five. So, you know, there's, there's something to be said about the team going, hey, look, you were, you were yanked from the games, but you've won three games in a row, right? I mean, you've won three games in a row, and, and we're back to where you are. It wasn't just game seven. Oh, he came up big. He came up huge here, but he looked good in game six, and he looked good in game five also. Here's a funny text for you, Tommy. Our buddy Jose V says he hates that the Rangers won because now all the VK, VGK parentheses fans are coming out on Twitter and saying they won because of Gallant and Reeves. How about that for a spin, huh? <laughs> well, listen, I can't argue that when Gallant was hired, what did I say? Yeah, I, I thought it was a great fit, a tremendous fit. Reeves, uh, yeah. I mean, Reeves is a role player. He, he's he. I don't want to say he's not important. Everybody on the team is important. You know what I mean? Everybody on the team contributes. But on the list of important players on, on the New York Rangers, he, he's not in the top five. I, I don't know if I'm putting him in the top six or seven. Right? I mean, he's just not. Guys, he, he's just not. So, you know, a role player isn't doing it for the Rangers. Reeves did did nothing that is going to make you flip out tonight. Tonight is about Igor. It's about uh, Panarin. It's about Fox. It's it's about Kreider, you know. Um, so yeah, it, that's not it. But Gallant, yeah. Listen, Vegas was stupid for letting him go. I said that at the time, and he is a guy that fits the Rangers perfectly, fits the young team of the Rangers perfectly, fits everything perfectly. Um, so yeah, actually, <laughs> I kind of got to agree with the guys, uh, you know, on Twitter there, Tim Reeves. No, no, you don't understand hockey. If you think Reeves and, and even when Reeves was with Vegas, I told you guys, come on, Reeves is totally overrated. Um, it's, if you think that Reeves made a huge difference, you're, you're insane. If you think a lot made a huge difference, I got to agree with. You. Right. And it, it's the typical, what we had talked about last night that our, our buddy, Tony Cordasco had said was that the, the Vegas fans, that take selfies and get drunk at the games. They love Reeves because he fights. That that's the only aspect of why they like him, um, and, and that's unfortunate that you look at the, the games like that. But but I understand why Gallant brought Reeves over there. He wanted somebody in the locker room that was on his side, right? He brought somebody in to help him uh, establish who the who the man is around there, and he knew Reeves was going to be his enforcer, and that's great. But you're right, his his presence means nothing as far as what these series come down to. Uh, Galan absolutely does. We all know that. And it's just funny that we see these fans jumping on there claiming that that's the reason why the Rangers uh, won. No, this doesn't even tip the iceberg there, Tom. No, Reeves, Reeves doesn't. Uh, I will. I just wrote an article. <laughs> I didn't include Reeves in it. Um, had, had you not read this, I would have talked about the Rangers for two hours tonight. I would not have included Reeves in the conversation, okay? Right. I will go on radio tomorrow. I will not talk about Reeves in the conversation. Easy. He's a good player. You know, I don't want to take it away. I'm glad I'm glad the Rangers got him. But we're talking about a guy that, like I said, he, he's not in the top five guys on the team that I would even sort of consider being. And, and is he going to make that kind of impact? I mean, what, what impact is he making? No. Other than, right, other than the stuff that you can't, um, you can't really talk about, right? I mean, if you want to say, well, the intangibles, 
But the number one guy on this team is is Igor. Number two is Panarin, obviously. Kreider's three. I put Fox four. Mika's five. So you know, it's a, it's an easy five, Tim. It's an easy five. And then we start going down the list and you go, okay, is, is Truba better, more important to this team? Yeah, probably. Is Miller better, more important to this team? Yeah, probably. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, it, is Kako more important to this team? Yeah, when he's on, probably. So I got I got eight, Tim. I'll start talking about him at nine. So, Tommy and I have the Rangers going, and we have the Oilers going, and we have the Avs going. The only thing that we dif- uh, differ on in round two is you still like Florida. I'm going to stay with Tampa and ride Vasilevsky through this playoff. So, uh, it should be fun, Tom. The second, this has been one of the more – look, we say this every year with playoffs. Oh, this is a great play. No, really, honestly, this has been a great playoff so far, man. Great playoff so far, and oftentimes in, in every sport – you get that early playoff series that everybody loves, and it's great, and then it kind of falls off. I can't see this falling off, Tim. I mean, Calgary, Edmonton is not going to fall off. Rangers, Carolina, number one, number two defense going at each other, and it's not going to fall off. Look, the Avs series might be a snoozer, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, we might fall asleep during that. Um, but, no, I don't I don't see this falling off. And Florida, Tampa? I, I mean, I'm almost as excited for round two as I was for round one. Tim Mugglesby, Tom Barton is Heat Wave Sports here on a Super Sunday night. Take our first time out. We come back, some NBA Game 7s. I'm going to get Tom's thoughts on those. Major League Baseball still to come. Whatever else we can throw around in the world of sports, we'll do it tonight here on this two-hour edition of the show. Again, Heat Wave Sports, back after this. Do you know who that was? The basketball player. He's LeBron James. He's kind of like the basketball player. Oh, yeah. I think I saw one of his soda commercials. Do you follow sports? Oh, my God. Sports? I love them. Who are your favorite teams? The uh, I like smaller teams, like the not the big leagues. I like the like um, Long Island mediums, the, the acorn pine cones. I haven't heard the of them. The Fire Island penguins. I like the Cincinnati Thunder Wizards. You can stop. The Orlando Blooms. You can stop. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tom Barton and Tim Unglesby. Now, Tommy, the Cincinnati Thunder Wizards is actually kind of a cool name. Yeah, it's actually not bad. Yeah. <laughs> Orlando Blooms, I, I, I could do without. But Cincinnati Thunder have Wizards. You come, have, have you come to your senses, Tim, and just understood that she is one of the more hideous people on earth and, and, and you used to have a crush on her? Have we come to our senses now? Oh, no, I love her. 100%. Oh, no. Yes. There, there's a great Absolutely. meme. It, it's Amy Schumer or Potato. <laughs> you really kind of can't tell the difference, to be honest with you. There's some that I wasn't sure. No, I'm looking forward to the uh, next time she does some stand-up and I can get that meet and greet and get that picture to send to you, brother, me and, me and her together. So, Let me tell you something. You're way out of her league. <laughs> and not, Thank no, you. no offense, that's not really a compliment, but you are way out of her league. <laughs> I'll take it as a compliment, though, my friend. Thank you. LeBron, she did bring up LeBron. He's he's not playing in this playoffs. And it's, 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 here's the thing that kills me right now. Right, I've stood steadfast in saying I'm not watching the NBA this year. I refuse to do it. I cannot stand the game anymore. So not only is he not in the playoffs, LeBron, a team that I 
cheered for forever in the Celtics, Tommy, are now in the Eastern Conference Finals again as I don't even know Milwaukee got off the bus at the arena today. 109-81, the Celtics win game seven at home. They're back in the Eastern Conference Finals since playing the Heat in the bubble. Uh, you know, two things here for me that, that I can say without watching in the game or any of it was that, number one, people that wanted to run Brad Stevens out of town, guess what? He still had a, a play in this team, right? He's in the front office. He built this team up the way it was. And number two, the Bucks look, for defending champs, man, they, they go out like, I don't even know if you can dismiss yourself this way. This was terrible. Yeah, you know, it's funny because this is what I, what I said last time. I was afraid of Giannis. Remember I said that? You know, I, I was afraid of Giannis. I was afraid what he would be. I was afraid he could take the game over. And early on, Tim, whoo, boy, did he take that game over. I mean, that first quarter, he was on fire. Giannis looked unstoppable. And I said, here it goes. This is what I was afraid of, right? I mean, this is what I was nervous about. Giannis getting in that zone. Giannis going crazy. Uh, the Bucks led 26-20 to 20 in the first quarter. And here you go. This, this is this is the Giannis that terrified me. This is why I couldn't take Boston. This is why I was banking on them. And then Giannis hit a wall. He couldn't make a shot, Tim. Not only could he not make a shot, he was making the dumbest, I mean, dumbest, plays banging it off the glass he, I don't know if he was frustrated or he just couldn't get anything done he was 10 of 26 uh from the, the field goal percentage and let me tell you it, it looked a lot worse than that one of four from three he was launching threes for no reason now he, look he did his job on the rebounding aspect he did his job with assists his stat line actually doesn't look bad man he was he was bad he was bad and here's the problem when you are afraid of one guy which I was. I was afraid of one guy. Well, if that guy has an off night, this is what happens. Giannis, I don't want to say he was a one-man team, but he's a one-man team without Middleton, certainly. And I expected him to just go off. Well, he didn't go off. He went the other way. He looked absolutely miserable in this game. Did, did the lo- was it a loss of Middleton? Would it have made a difference, you think, Tom? I know, I know that core has been together for a while, but no. I mean, like... look, I can't, I can't say that because that's a slight Boston. Uh, yeah. But I, I just can't imagine that. I, I can't imagine. I would have watched. I want to say two quarters. I, w- I don't know if it's two and a half. I don't know if I could ever watch two and a half quarters that was that bad of Giannis in my life. He was terrible, Tim. I, I mean, terrible. He was to a point where. If he wasn't getting 20 rebounds, which, by the way, he got 20 rebounds. If he wasn't getting 20 rebounds, you almost, like, take him out of the game. I mean, that, that's how hard it was to watch him. He was he was bad. It was a bad night for Giannis. And you just can't win. If you're the Milwaukee Bucks, you are not going on the road and winning a game if Giannis isn't Giannis. And he just wasn't. Offensively, he still put up 25 points, took 26 shots, Tim. And what about the Celtics? What about the play of Williams in this series? He's been absolutely huge for them. Yeah, you know, I, I think Boston really has something working. And I talked about this on my show this morning. I said, guys, you know, you, you start to look at Boston in a whole new light if they win the series because they take down the champs, take down Giannis. And you start to go, yeah, they're not a one-directional kind of team. You look at what Marcus Smart has turned into. You look at, obviously, Williams gave that them that extra boost. This is not a scoring team. 
This is not purely a defensive team. This is a well-rounded team. It's just a team's team. Well, that takes us to a rematch of 2020 Heat Celtics Eastern Conference Finals. Break it down for us, Tom. I don't know if you could bet against the Celtics here. I, I, I continue to keep doubting the Heat like everybody else. But I was on the Heat years ago, so I don't feel bad about this. But the Celtics are in the zone, and we've talked about growing up in front of people's eyes and taking that next step and getting to that level. Jason Tatum is there. He is at that level. Jason Tatum has evolved to that level. They are still the number one defense. Miami's not used to going in and people playing better defense in the playoffs than they do. And they are going to face that. Boston is a better defensive team. Boston has more momentum right now. Miami dispelled of a Sixers team, a Sixers team that had problems, a Sixers team that was dysfunctional, a Sixers team that was banged up, and a Sixers team that they dispelled of them uh, quite a few days ago, Tim, right? I mean, it feels like a week, but quite a few days ago. I think the layoff hurts. I believe that the best player on the court, I know Jimmy Butler has looked good. Jason Tatum is the best player on the court, and he's getting better seemingly every game. They have the best defensive player on the court, literally the defensive MVP. I, and I can't find a category, even the check mark to with the Heat, except experience. And the experience level, doesn't it get negated here, Tim, when Boston goes out and does what they just did against the Bucks? Can't you kind of cross out experience level when the Boston Celtics just took out Giannis in a game seven and the, and the defending champion Bucks? I don't think that experience level tips the scales that much. I don't think that experience level goes out there and says, oh yeah, you know, we're better because we're experienced. No, no, no. Boston is now somewhat experienced as well. And they just took out somebody more experienced. Defensively, they're better than you. They have the best defensive player on the on the court. Offensively, they are better than you. They have the best offensive player on the court. They are a, a full team. That's what you are. In many respects, Boston is just a little bit better of a version of what Miami actually is. Tatum's a little bit better than Jimmy Butler. Marcus uh, Smart's better than Bam. Uh, you, you look at, well, we play a team concept. Boston just plays it a little bit better. Boston's just a tad better of the version of basketball that the Heat like to play. It's a bad matchup for the Heat. I would, I would say I agree. Most, And again, I'm, I'm going off knowledge here. So experience-wise, definitely, I think Miami, with the likes of on that roster is, is experience wise, but you said it. Boston's experienced now too. You know, they this isn't the first time in the playoffs with these guys and that core that's remained are playoff ready. The only check mark I would give statistically would be in the coaching department. That's the only place I go because Spolstra's been there and done it. Duca, you know, it's his first crack at it. So that's the you only know, place I said I would... this, Tim, I, I'm glad you brought up coaching because I said it last night. I said it with a with a flippant attitude, and I got called out on Twitter, and, and I'm doubling down. You know, somebody called me out and said, oh, I can't believe you know you don't think coaching is important in the NBA. It, it's not. I'm doubling down. Of all the major sports, NBA coaches are, are, are the most useless, <laughs> okay? You can't dare compare an NBA coach to what an NFL coach is. You can't dare compare an NBA coach to what an NHL coach is. You can't even compare – an NHL, an NBA coach to a college basketball coach. College basketball coach does more than they do. College football coach does more. And baseball, look, 
baseball coaching has kind of come out of the game a little bit because of the analytics and whatnot. Still got to manage a bullpen, which is very, very huge. You still have to kind of manage that lineup. You still have to give guys days off. The NBA and an NBA coach is the least respected job by anybody that understands sports out there among the major pro actual head coaches. Okay. I'm not telling you it's an easy job, but no, 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 no. I'm pushing back. I mentioned it last night. Somebody got on me and said, do you really think NBA coaches don't matter? Yes. I really think NBA coaches don't matter when you're comparing them to the other sports. You like Spolster though. I like him. I mean, again, that's the whole thing, Tim. I, I, you know, can he make a difference in a in a one on one? Is he one of the better coaches? Yeah, I'm not saying that. You know, I I think he gives them a slight, ever so slight, maybe a little bit of an advantage. But no coach is going to give too much of an advantage. It's not that I don't like these guys. It's that you can't compare an NBA coach and the impact that that guy is going to have onto an NFL team, or or an, an NHL coach, or even a baseball coach. You can't do it. It's it's an unfair comparison. So, yeah, sure, I like Spolster. I always have. I think he's he's a really good coach, probably top five in the league. Does he give them a, a slight nod? Sure. But if the team's the better team, it doesn't really matter. I get what you're saying. And, and, you know, you know, for a coach, think, a lot think, of... think about it like this. Steve Kerr is a moron, okay? I'm, I'm shocked that Steve Kerr could tie his shoes. But he works well for that team. Okay, yeah. he's a good he's he's a fine coach for what he is. Greg Popovich, people put him up on a pedestal, but on a pedestal, Popovich was the best. Well, you take away Hall of Fame talent away from him, you take away Duncan away from him, and Kawhi Leonard. What is Popovich? Uh, another guy that uh, I'm stunned that he finds the, the, his way to the car in the morning out of the driveway. Okay, so NBA coaches out there are a product of their star players. Now, Spolster could be the different. The different guy because he has done it with different teams. He has done it with different stars. He has done it with guys that quote unquote Jimmy Butt was not a star. But it's just not enough to push the needle to me. If you got Jason Tatum, you could have Phil Jackson on the other side. If you have this collection of team, he's not going to get. He's not going to be able to overcome the kind of players that you're going up against. And Spolstra, you know what? Go out there and prove me wrong. But I think it's going to be a lot of Jimmy Butler proving me wrong more than Eric Spolstra. Yeah, no, I agree. I, it's obviously on the players, not the coaches. We're not. This isn't college where you're designing game plans and plays in the huddle. Where you know, as much as because these guys are going to do what they want to do anyways. But I think more so the coach is there to keep the peace during the season, right? Tom and Spolster seems to be that guy that everybody likes. So it's easy for there not to be bad chemistry in the locker room because they like him. Whereas you have your other coaches that. They just don't even get a chance because you have players in there that they just don't want to be there. So, um. and, I, and I'll say this to anybody out there, right? If you really want to argue the coaches factor, um, <laughs> when the Lakers go out and fire their head coach, okay, um, and the Brooklyn Nets go out and fire their head coach, don't we all go, oh, come on, like it was really his fault, right? Do you think that the reason that the Brooklyn Nets didn't advance is because of Steve Nash? Not at all. Right. Come on. All right. Celtics heat, Tom. Who you got? Uh, yeah, Celtics. I'm taking the Celtics. Yeah, I, I got the Celtics. I, I, I think the Heat will put up a fight. You know, they'll win a game or two, but I got the Celtics in six. 
Tom, when we come back from the top of the hour timeout, we're going to talk Dallas, Phoenix. And this is all I want you to answer as we head to break, Ryan. That's all I want you to answer. Is this the biggest embarrassment in NBA history? You mean Chris Paul or the Suns? <laughs> just, 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 there's so many layers to this onion. It's going to be fun to talk about it. And we'll, we'll leave it at that and talk to you on the other side of the timeout. It's Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. The Heat Wave Sports Show is owned and produced by Tim Unglesby. All opinions expressed by the host or guests are their own and are not endorsed by either radio station KRLV Management or any of their advertisers. You like yelling at technology? Listen anytime on your smart speaker. Just tell it to put on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. KKGK Las Vegas. Crisco, Bardol, Vegasil. Any one of them will give you another two to three inches drop on your curveball. Of course, if the umps are watching me close, I just rub a little jalapeno inside my nose, get it running, and if I need to load the ball up a little, just wipe my nose. You put snot on the ball? I haven't got an arm like yours. I gotta put anything on it I can find. Someday you will too. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tom Barton and Tim Unglesby. Game seven, the Western Conference semifinals today. The Dallas Mavericks go into Phoenix. Not only win game seven, embarrassed the Phoenix Suns 123-90, and it was a bigger deficit than that. Phoenix put up a 40-point fourth quarter to, to trim that deficit to a final of over 30 points in, in the win. But uh, a lot of layers here, Tom. I, I want to start more so with you said it last night on the air. I always give you credit where credit is due. You said it on the air last night that in a game seven, give me Luka over that loser CP3 any day. And sure enough, it happened again, just like you said. Timmy's a loser. He's always been a loser. I've called him out as being a loser over and over again. And he's continued to be a loser. He's 0-6 in his last game sevens, Tim. 0-5. No NBA player ever did. 0-4 tied the record. He's 0-6 in his last game sevens. It, it just it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um Chris Paul is a loser. I, I've watched him time and time again. This guy is being put up as one of the greats of all time. Yeah, maybe in the regular season, sure. But I've also watched time after time after time him come up small in big spots. And don't sit there and tell me, well, you know, it's not his fault. It's not him. It's not because I hear that all the time. Chris Paul had a miserable series here. A miserable series. Turnovers galore. What did he do tonight? I know he's not a big point scorer, Tim. Ten points, four assists in a closeout game by your future MVP. 10 points, four assists in 31 minutes, Tim. That, that's that's off the bench. I mean, that, that's guys off the bench, right? I, I, at best, that's guys that you go, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, give me 10 and four, a nice little player. No, 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 this is Chris Paul. And go through the series, okay? Go through the just what we're looking at for the series. Game six, five turnovers, 13 points, four assists, okay? Game before that, four turnovers. Before that, two turnovers. Oh, but he had five points, Tim. Game before that, seven turnovers. I gave you 12 points in that game. You feel good about any of these? Do you feel good about any of these? Do you understand that Chris Paul, okay, now he, he had no turnovers tonight. Oh, 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 in the blowout, he didn't have any turnovers. But the three games leading into the, well, the four games, I should say, leading into this, 
Um, 18 turnovers in four games, Tim. Meanwhile, never went over 13 points. He's basically, for this series, averaging five assists, 13 points, and about four turnovers. And that, that's pathetic, Tim. I, and it's, again, you can't sit back. And here's the thing. People are going to go, oh, you know, he's not the main guy, and Booker's the main guy. And what? You cannot sit back and have shows on the media that are going viral because Mad Dog Russo says he's not a top five all-time point guard. And and Stephen A. Smith and, and a lot of people are, are going, he's insane. Oh, Mad Dog's crazy for that. You can't have those conversations. And I'm mentioning other shows because it did. It went crazy. Everybody jumped on this. CP3 is definitely a top five all-time, top 10 show. You can't have conversations where you're putting somebody in the top five conversation all-time that is a loser year after year after year and comes up small every single time I turn around. He came up small in this series. He came up small today. And let's be honest, guys. Chris Paul has come up small most of his career. He is exactly what I said he was last night. I got the pushback once again. We used to have a board up that used to argue with me all the time about Chris Paul. All I keep saying is history is still here. History is on my side. And all Chris Paul keeps doing is making the case for me, Tim. And Phoenix dropped $120 million on him last year to extend him to four years. So they're, they're stuck with him for technically till 2025. You can move that thirty million a year contract somewhere, but it just seems to be that's what his career is, right, Tom? Everywhere he goes, he cannot get the job done when it needs to be done. He, he, he's just somebody, Tim, uh, that you you can't rely on. I mean, you just cannot go out there and think that Chris Paul is going to lead you to a championship. And you know, we do compare other sports all the time, and it's not fair to say I, you, you always get people, oh, no, Mike Truck it in basketball. You have five guys on the court. We watched LeBron James completely take over a Cleveland team. Why is the number one pick so important? One player makes a massive difference on, on the court. It just it's it's mathematics. I mean, it's one player of five. So yeah, championships do matter if you want to be considered in that top five conversation. I love John Stockton. Okay, I've always been a John Stockton fan. I'm not saying he's the greatest point guard of all time. You know why? John Stockton has zero rings. Now he got there, but he's got zero rings can't have that kind of conversation with Chris Paul. And the idea that we want to elevate him to that point, I think, overblew what the Suns were. They're sitting, you said before the break, are they the most disappointing team? You know, I'm going to give that to the Lakers or Brooklyn Nets, okay? Um, but are they the most disappointing team? They're one of, they'll go down, they, they, they will go down with 64 wins in the performance that they had in a Game 7 at home with a future Hall of Famer having the, the pathetic performance he had at home as an overall encompassing one of the most pathetic performances that we've seen in a long time. 64 wins, 32 on their home floor. Game seven, crowd nuts, and Luka comes out and scores as many points as they did in the first half by himself. Phoenix had 27 points at the break. Luka had 27 points at the break and already up 30. Just a complete embarrassment. If you're a Phoenix Suns fan, there is no excuse you can use other than this team did not show up. And my favorite night time when we previewed this game was I said, Tommy, you know, Devin Booker's coming out in the public, in the media, he's saying they're locked in for game seven. They're locked in. Devin Booker, three of 14, 
shot 20% from the field. He, I don't know what he considers locked in, if that's the case. Tim, Luke was laughing at them. <laughs> he was laughing. It was, it, was, it was that, because it's been one of those series, you know, back and forth. He was laughing at them, because why wouldn't he be laughing at them? I, I mean, I was laughing at them. You look at this Dallas team, though. I gave you them last night. I thought Dallas was going to win outright because their defense is phenomenally good. They are phenomenally good. We talk about the Celtics, the number one defense in the league. Well, let me tell you something. Dallas is playing like the number one defense. And I, I, I've said this before. I said this on one of my podcasts. I was, I'm not sure if it was wagering week or, or want to bet on the podcast. You guys could go check them both out. But I've said this before, and I'm going to say this here. We don't know when we're watching something grow into something that it'll be until it's too late. And let me explain. We don't know. We didn't know Tom Brady was going to be Tom Brady when he was an underdog in the Super Bowl that was asked to manage the game, right, Tim? Remember that Super Bowl? Uh, They were the big underdogs. Everybody was kind of rooting for New England because they were the underdogs. Tom Brady was asked to manage the game. Little did we know Tom Brady would be Tom Brady years later. But you need that kind of going off point. The New York Yankees 1996 World Series, they were the giant underdogs. They were the team that were scrappy. People kind of were rooting for the Yankees. They were this team that nobody really knew. Nobody really knew that they were going to go on to kind of have this dynasty and have all that they did. You don't know it until already it's already past you. So when I say that, I go, Tim, are we watching Luca become on the planet? It, you know, you need big moments. And I talked about this with Jason Tatum, right? You need big moments. You need that big clutch time. You need that big stage. Well, Luca not only got out of the first round being the number one offense in the league in Utah, a team that was generally considered better than them, and they did so on their home floor, held that team to 77. But Luca led every game he led that he played in. He led in points and rebounds. One game he didn't lead in assists. Now he goes and he takes on a 64-win Suns team that they were massive underdogs to. And he goes and takes them on him and leads them past here. If he could get past the Warriors, are we watching something where we're going to turn around five years from now and be like, oh, my God, we really actually thought CP3 and the Suns were going to beat Luka? Are we going to have that kind of understanding of the playoffs because we're watching Luka grow up? And not only Luka, maybe this entire Dallas team. We always like to look at, before we move on to the Western Conference Finals, we always kind of look at closing the, the book on a team and what next year, uh, preview what we can look forward to next year. Let's put it that way. So the NBA salary cap is going to be around $120 million next year, Tom. They have already doled out for next year between Devin Booker and Chris Paul, $61 million. Michael Bridges' extension kicks in next year. That's $20 million. So $81 million of that 122 to three players. And... I, you know, I, I read about the, the the strife now with DeAndre Ayton, who's a free agent technically, and trying to re-sign him. Uh, that that Phoenix team, uh, they're they're in trouble unless they do some maneuvering around here around this cap, Tom. Because you know, to tie it up with those three players, I don't even consider Michael Bridges a twenty million dollar a year player. So I'm not sure what happened here. I Phoenix is one of those teams where you see the window slowly closing. Or maybe it's being slammed on them. They had the opportunity, Tim. I mean, this was this was their shot. 
This was their opportunity. Last year, we thought, okay, you know what? That was their chance. This was certainly their chance. In professional sports, you only get a very small window. Usually that window is about two years, maybe three. The great teams that you could extend it for four or five, those are the elite teams of elite, elite, elite teams. The Phoenix Suns had their window. They had a window between last year and this year. I think it's officially closed, Tim. Uh, I don't know how many of these guys are going to come back. I don't know uh, what you could even do to this team to kind of shake it up to make sure that they do come back to get over. Uh, Aton, I think he's up for free agency, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right. So you, you lose him. Who are you going to replace him with? And look, Chris Paul is still leading the way. Chris Paul can still play. I'm not saying that he can't play, okay? He can still play. Timmy's 37, right? I mean, he's 37 years old. You're relying upon a 37-year-old that hit a wall in the playoffs? It wouldn't shock me if Chris Paul is uh, what we've seen in the playoffs more than what we saw during the regular season. wouldn't shock me if this team, when I say take a nosedive, I, I mean a massive nosedive in the West, take a, no, a nosedive, they could go from 64 wins to clinging to a playoff spot real quick. Essentially, they went for broke, right, Tom? He's 37 years old. I don't see him... I don't see how you can keep him around through the end of this contract. We'll be over 40 at that point. Whatever trade value he has has diminished so much in the last three seasons. I'm not sure who wants to take on a $30 million a year contract unless they're trying to to just uh, create excessive cap room for themselves. You're right. And and Aiton, the thing with Aiton is it's internal, which is bad, right? If you're trying to bring the guy back, who, by the way, went to the University of Arizona, was a was a – kind of considered a hometown guy and now he's pissed off at you <laughs> you know there's a lot of problems there and i think you're right you go from the best team to now clinging to a playoff spot like you said they, they went for broke is what it looks like tom they did they took their shot they swung and they hung their title hopes on a guy that was a perennial loser that's what they did and, and you know they're 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 all, they're going to get burned for it there's no other way around no way to sugarcoat this Right. I mean, the Phoenix Suns, do they make the playoffs next year? Sure. I mean, 64 win team isn't going to not make the playoffs, but are they winning around in the playoffs? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think in that stacked East, uh, that stacked West, I don't think that they are, Tim. I think the Clippers are going to be better next year. You know that Denver's not going away with the MVP. You know that Utah's going to have some shakeup. We'll see what they can do. I don't see anything on the horizon. I think that they missed their window. For me, you close the book on the Suns, it's closing the book on the window for a championship. Let's talk about the Dallas Mavericks, Tommy. In the Western Conference Finals, and their reward is the Golden State Warriors. How about this matchup for a right to go to the NBA championship series? Yeah, this is... uh, (laughs) Like I said... I took the Warriors before the season. I took the Warriors before the playoffs. I never faltered on them. I think that they are easily the best team. I, I still have to say that they're going to win. They're going to win this series. But I've been making a lot of money on Dallas. I've been backing Dallas in both of these series. I'm kind of all over Dallas right now. And the what, what I've watched from their defense is just eye-popping. I'm going to have a real hard time betting this series because of how much I believe in the Warriors – but how much this defense is just uh, extraordinarily good for the Dallas Mavericks. And when when the crunch time comes, 
You can't count this team out. That's the thing. I mean, they're playing with house money. Luka's having fun out there. He's smiling. He's laughing. Luka is having fun, Tim. And that is almost a dangerous proposition if you have a guy like that going out there smiling and have a good time. If you break down and look at check marks, <clears throat> offensively, Tom, where does the, the nod go? Not not individual I mean, players. It, as a team. It's, it's the Warriors by a mile. Because it's Luka and everybody else. Defense. Dallas. It's the Mavericks. I, and I know the Warriors are a, a top three defense when they're healthy, but I'm giving it to the Mavericks the way that they're playing right now, Tim. Intangibles, bench, it is what it is because the starters are playing most of the time. But I know from a coaching aspect, Tommy, it doesn't mean much to you. But for, for Pete's sake here, you think Kerr is a moron – they love him, though. They play for him. Do you like Kerr or do you like the opposite side of it? I can't stand Jason. I can't stand the look of his face. I hate him as a human being because of the things that he's done. But he's a better coach. Yeah. Uh, home field? Does home court mean anything to you? We just saw. Yeah, I mean, I think, that that, I think that's going to be pretty impactful, actually. I think that the, the home court will matter. Um, I mean, look, the check marks are going to the Warriors. And the Warriors are yeah. probably going to win this thing in in, in five, maybe six. I, I mean, I really do. I think that what has happened here is that they, they proved a point. They proved a, a real big point here. And, and kind of the, the Cinderella shoe is off, right? I do think that it's about that time for Luka. It's just hard to go that down that road, Tim, when you just know how good that they can play. Here's an interesting question for you, Tim. I'm going to ask you this because I don't want to tackle this question because it's just too hard. Um, who's got the best player on the court? I, I think Luka Doncic is the best player on the court. And I love Better him than Curry? to death. Yeah, I love him to death, too. I really do. I think he's great for the game. I think Luka's great for the game. I think size-wise, that Luka presents so many problems more for Golden State than what Curry presents to Dallas, right? And I know Curry can hit the shot from the stands if he wanted to, but in my mind, Luka's the better player with the chance to win the game. Though, at, at, if it comes down to a Game 7 last shot situation, I love Cur Curry all day. And I think it's enough for me to say, look, at the beginning of the year, before I decided I wasn't going to watch any NBA and we had our preview show, I picked Golden State to win because I knew Clay Thompson was going to come back at some point. I loved Wiggins, Green. Jordan Poole has been absolutely – I didn't even factor that into the equation of what he could bring to this team. So Jordan for Poole me, is unbelievably good. Yeah, he has been such a great asset to the team. I don't remember – and I'm not speaking for you because I don't remember. I picked Golden State to win. I think you did too right at the beginning of yes, the season. Yes, I did. Yeah. So I got to stick to my guns. I know you are as well. But I think Luca overall, to answer your original question, is the best player on the court. I just think Curry brings enough that if it comes down to him, he'll make the shot where it counts. Overall, Golden State's just a better team. Let's put it that way. Let, let, let me ask you this, Tim, because it, it is an interesting conversation. I, I like I like where this is going. I want to have this with you. Um, I mentioned today that, to me, Giannis is the greatest player on the planet. And I've said that for three, four years now, right? I mean. It's a guy, really, he really is. But he didn't win the MVP, and he didn't even finish second in the MVP. So people have to throw in Embiid. We have a back-to-back -back MVP. 
We have Steph Curry, who is an all-timer. People are, are talking about him being maybe top 10 all-time. You have LeBron, who's still in the league, obviously. Uh, and, and now you have Luka. So how much does a playoff run impact your decision of who's the best player right now? That's a great question, actually. Um, I think if you're asking me who the best player overall in the league is, I still say it's Giannis. Two MVPs, championship. It just wasn't his year this year, right? Left in the playoffs, though, Luka's the best. And, yeah, I think it does at times impact your thought process, Tom, because the whole goal in professional sports is to win titles, right, Tom? So if that guy can carry you through playoff series and get you to where you need to be to win, I think it has everything to do with uh, how it impacts not only my vision, but I'm assuming a lot of people's visions on who the best player is. Luka's 23. I I don't see him getting worse, right? He's got – was he a point down from his average two years ago from the – or he's a point up, excuse me, from his two years ago average. So I just see him getting better. And as long as he stays healthy, I think he ultimately, he's a guy we're going to watch for the next 10 years and saying he's the best. Don't you agree? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, Giannis is not is not old, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, true. I mean, that's the thing. I, I think it's a good conversation to have because, uh, you know, what, what is Giannis? 20, 27. So he doesn't even turn 28 until the middle of next year. He doesn't turn 28 until December 6th, Tim. So we got, yeah, you said, you know, Luca for the next 10 years. Yeah, you got Luca for the next 10 years. You, you got Giannis for like a good, like seven of those years. though. And I think it is a good debate right now. Who is the best? I continuously say Giannis. I continuously go to that well because of what he is. Luca might be there. And, and, and I said this two years ago or three years ago, when Luca came into the league, I said, he's going to be the best player in five years. I, I, I thought it was going to take five years. I said, he's going to be the best player in the league. I, I absolutely, if there was a jersey of somebody I was going to go get, it would probably go be Luka, right? I mean, that's how much I, I really, really, really like this guy. But with Does, Giannis, yeah, this is why I want to have that conversation. You know, it, it, it's close. It's close. So let me ask you this then, just to stay on the topic. It's good, right? Does does the positions they play matter to you? You're talking about Luka as a, it's essentially a six seven point guard like Magic Johnson, right? Taller than he should be in that position. Whereas Giannis at 6'11", obviously dominates down low. Does that factor into your equation or your analysis of who a better player is based on where they're playing? No, I think I think you have to just, when you get to the point of who's the best player, you have to throw positions out. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, it's very hard to compare, you know, Shaq to, uh, you know, Joe Dumars, right? <laughs> you know, it's a hard comparison. But if we're talking about the best, then you, you've got to make that comparison. Um I think Giannis can do a lot more uh, in certain areas, but I think Luca is, he's probably going to, here's the thing. You said he's 23 right now today going into, I'll say going into this series. I thought it was, I thought it was Giannis for the last three years. I I didn't buy the Jokic stuff. I certainly didn't buy the LeBron nonsense. That was laughable. Um, I thought Curry was right there, but there's things that Curry cannot do. You know, Curry's limited. Curry's not going to get you 20 rebounds, right? He's limited. The only guy that I thought that might be able to steal the crown from Giannis is Luka. And after what I've watched in this playoff series, I don't know if he stole the crown yet, but he's he's real close, Tim. He's real close to ripping that crown right off his head. And does it impact 
the future. I mean, we always talk about matchups in the playoffs. So Golden State, Boston is intriguing, right? Coast to coast, east, west, uh, basically two ends of, of the United States. A lot of young players in there along with some veterans. I love that matchup. Miami, Golden State, I like that one too. Um, Dallas, Boston is intriguing. And and then again, Dallas, Miami. So you have a rematch from years ago in the finals. I like all four of those matchups. But so when you're looking at these two guys specifically and talking about who the if they're going to have this this duel as who the best player is for the next ten years, does Milwaukee Dallas sound intriguing to you? No, that's the only way they're playing. You know, Tim, I want Tatum against Luca. That's what I want. I, I because I think Jason Tatum is on that projection of, hey, man, and we talked about it, is Jason Tatum, you know, in that that age range, in, in that range of a top 10 player. And I said, you know, I think Jason Tatum isn't a top 10 player, but I think he's top 15. Uh, Jason Tatum is 24. I want Jason Tatum against Luka in the finals because we talked about what's good for hockey. That's good for basketball. Jason Tatum is the emerging star. Jason Tatum is the guy that's trying to fight his way inside the top 10. And if Jason Tatum up against Luka, we could have all eyes on us. I, I know everybody wants the Warriors because you know what? You get the splash and this, oh, it's fun. Um, to me, Miami-Golden State would be, a, would be a terrible final. I think, you know, Golden State, Tatum trying to take over and the Boston Celtics in the East Coast against the West Coast. Okay, I, I could get into Golden State-Boston. I can get into Dallas-Miami. Yeah, I, I can kind of get into that. I don't love that matchup. But I love Jason Tatum against Luka Doncic. I, I, I think that's that is the series that every NBA fan wants, or should want. We'll find out. NBA uh, conference finals begin this week. You like Golden State, and you like Boston. How about that? that that's what I'm going with as well, Tom. Yeah, I, I think you picked up before the year, Tim. Yeah. The guy, being a homer. the guy that doesn't watch the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> I was being a complete homer when I picked that, but it worked out. So, Yeah, it might work out. It might be there for you. That's Tom Barton, Tim Bungles, We Heat Wave Sports. Final time out. When we come back, we'll go back to the diamond. Pick where we left off with some divisional talk. Also, a no-hitter thrown today in baseball. An anomaly is that team didn't win, but I wasn't so impressed with the no-no and why they didn't win. I was more impressed with just the complete embarrassment of a baseball series that was. We'll talk about that as well after the timeout. It's Heat Wave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio. I really can't believe it. Let me see here. Kentucky Wildcats, number four in the country. I'm hearing four first-round draft choices, and you're asking me how that got away from me? They're the big blue. You ought to know that. I'm not mad at you. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. We get to end tonight with some more Major League Baseball talk. Always a fun time for me and Tommy to talk baseball with you. This is really get an opportunity to spend a good amount of time talking about it because I think baseball off to a great start. Wouldn't you say so, Tommy? Hasn't baseball been fun so far? We're only, what, 30 games into the season, man. Oh, yeah, and it's funny because – Remember what I said when we had the lockout and everyone said, oh, man, you know, this stinks. I said, yeah, you know, we're going to be sitting back. We're going to be sitting there in early May 
And I said, and no one's going to remember. No one's going to remember. No one's going to remember all this because you know what? Baseball is going to be recovered. They're going to be fine because they put a good product out there. And the Major League Baseball has put a very good product out there. So before we, we move around to the divisions we missed last night, in case you missed, we talked um, we talked a lot about New York and L.A. And you can watch, listen to that over in the archives at lvsportsnetwork.com, Heatwave Sports. So we had a, a no-hitter today, right? And, and the thing about the no-hitter, not not like Reed Detmers had last week, Tommy, where he was amazing. We had the no-hitter today, and the team lost. Okay, so it's it's it, it's, it doesn't happen a lot this way. And that was like a big, big headline. Hey, the Reds threw a no hitter. Hunter Green. I remember that happened to Andy Hawkins back in like ninety ninety one for the right. Yankees. We I laughing. remember that garbage. I laughed about it then too, and I'm laughing about it now because, look, don't get me wrong. Hunter Green, you and I, Tommy, know one of the Reds' top prospects coming into the year. He's had a tough go of it so far on a pretty bad team. Right, ERA was well over six coming into this game. He goes seven and a third of no hit ball. Gave up no hits. Gave up an earned run. They lose the game one nothing. So a no hitter with a loss. Let's not get it wrong. He walked five guys, so it wasn't like he had a clean game. He, he just they just didn't give up any hits. The thing I have a problem with in that Pittsburgh won this game one nothing. Wasn't like, you know, this game featured a total of four hits. Tom, four hits. You'd think that's great old fashioned baseball. But I look at it more like this is what small market value has done to us. And I don't even know if Cincinnati is, yes, not as bad as Pittsburgh as far as small market, but it's not like they're going out and spending a lot of money either. You know, it's terrible. The combined, these two teams have 24 wins. And it wasn't like this, you know, all weekend. Look at look at the game Saturday, 3-1. to one. This is exactly what we're looking at here in, in terrible baseball. So as much as the headline was the Reds threw a no-hitter and they lost – for me, it was like, who had to watch this crap and who had to watch this series? It's unfortunate that this is what small market versus top dollar teams do. But unfortunately, this is the way it is sometimes. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I mentioned last night that I, I did an interview with Rob Mish before the season about, you know, Major League Baseball. And he writes a lot of stuff for Chicago. So, you know, he was asking me about the Cubs. And I said, here's the problem. There are three teams in that division that are actively trying to lose. And I wasn't being funny to him. I really wasn't. The Pittsburgh Pirates do not care about winning. They haven't cared about winning for a long time. The Cincinnati Reds actually were trying to lose because they want better draft picks and they want to go uh, trade all their players. I mean, they basically said that. The Cubs basically said the same thing. We're going to kind of start from zero. We love our draft pick. You have three teams in the division actively trying to lose. You know, somebody asked on Twitter uh, a couple days ago, if you could kind of relegate you know, like soccer, relegate any team um, from any league, from any, uh, you know, professional team and relegate them down. I was like, it would be the Pittsburgh Pirates just because it, they're consistently this bad. They're consistently this horrendous year after year after year. And the minute somebody gets good on their team, they ship them out. They don't want to pay anybody. There has to be so many people are, are flipping out now. Why? Because New York Yankees, New York Mets, the Angels and the Dodgers are the four first-place teams. And they're going, oh, you know, they're all buying championships. I would much rather have owners throwing crazy money to try to win than with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Would you rather you know, have an, a Major League Baseball kind of landscape 
where the owners just don't care? No, of course not. We need to have a serious discussion about a baseball salary floor. You have to have that. The Pittsburgh Pirates' overall salary is disgusting. It's disgusting to look at. It's it's kind of ridiculous um, when you start to get into it. And guess what? The Reds are looking at it and saying, yeah, you know what? That's a pretty good model. You, you can you can make money. The Pirates this year, their projected payroll, Tim, is $37 million. <laughs> $37 million. I, 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 that's, that's what they're projected. $37 million. There are players, right? I mean, what, what is Garrett Cole making, Tim? <laughs> right? What's Cole yeah. making in the year? 40? Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think it's, yeah, I think $36 million. So yeah. Garrett Cole, who, by the way, used to pitch – for the Pittsburgh Pirates when I used to cover them for, for Trib Live Radio. Um, Garrett Cole is making $36 million a year. The Pittsburgh Pirates' entire team makes a million dollars more. Think about it's – it's a good thing because we could do a we could do a three-hour show on, on baseball and the, the problems with the small market franchise. So Pittsburgh, you just said it, they're never going to pay anybody. All the great players they brought up through that farm system – have gone on to bigger cities. Key Brian Hayes, our number one guy now, he will be gone when his contract is up, right, Tom? We already know that's going to happen. Ryan Reynolds is already on the trading block. Yeah. They're averaging 11,000 fans a game. As much as we're laughing about Oakland, they're not that much better. They're, they're averaging 11,000 fans a game. How can you make money with that model? I want them to sell the team. I, I follow a lot of Pittsburgh guys on social media. I have a lot of friends in Pittsburgh. Uh, I've been doing radio with Josh Taylor forever, you know, CBS Pittsburgh, one of the nicest guys in this business. And the general consensus is we're not going to support this team until you sell. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's been going on Tim for like a decade now. I'm saying so where are they making are they made earning a profit somewhere or they can't yes. just continue to yes. lose money, so no, but they're not, they're not losing money. That's that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Pirates have such a low salary because they are making money. And then a team like the Reds looks at it and says, hey, you know what? Oh, wait, we can make money? We yeah. can make money by just putting out a, a horrendous, ridiculous roster? Oh, that's great. Why, Tim? Because of the uh, shared revenue that they turned around, right? The shared revenue. That's, that's insane. In 2021, I'm reading this here, Tim. In 2021, the revenue of the Pittsburgh Pirates amounted to $258 million. $258 million, Tim. They're paying their team $37. That is also in addition to local TV agreements. Their local TV agreements, Tim, are upwards of more than $40 million a year. Their TV agreements are more than what they pay the entire team. That that was my next thing was the, the TV contracts come into play, the shared revenue. Low salary or low 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 team roster salary, whatever they do make through the ballpark is is profit at that point. It doesn't matter, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's the problem. If you think about the Pirates are are the TV salary, the TV contract pays the salary. Okay, let's just say. I mean, they're, they're profiting a little bit, but basically, okay, TV contract pays the salary. So anything that they get, any any dollar that they get when walking into the ballpark just goes to maintain the ballpark and then everything else is profit. So that's, where does make- that's where, where, where this is where baseball is going wrong. 
where does Major League Baseball step in and say, look, we understand you're you're a businessman, you want to make money, you want you don't want to have to sell the team, but we can't have uh, our product with no people in the stands, everybody laughing. You know, at some point it affects the league as a whole as well. It does. Here's the thing: the Pirates organization is valued at one point two five billion dollars. Tim, <laughs> they're not right? selling them, Tom. Nobody's going to buy that. That that's that that's exactly the point. I mean, you know, it it's a uh, it's the argument of sports as a business. Well, this is purely a business for them, and this is why everybody wants them to kind of force to sell. The Pirates are no one buying the Pittsburgh Pirates for one point two five billion. But guess what? It's probably a good investment if they're making $250 million a year and they are not. They have no salary. The problem is, is that the guy that would buy that would also want to keep the salary low unless you get you know, a guy like Steve Cohen to come in that loves the team, that wants to buy them, and that wants to kind of get a winner in the city. Unless you get a Steve Cohen coming in here, the, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they're destined to continue to do this. They have found a loophole. They found a proven model. And what's a shame is that teams like the Cubs and the Reds are going, hey, maybe we could follow that model for a little while, put a little profit in our pocket before we start building up again. That's unfortunately what the situation is. And you know, why would you stop if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates? We would stop because why? Well, we are we're sports fans. But if you're a businessman, why would you stop making that kind of unbelievable profit year after year? You found a business model. The best thing to do is just to continuously trim salary, trim, you get it lower and lower than you can. Keep getting it lower because every million dollars you take off the salary is a million dollars you put in your pocket. They, they could field a team of eight-year-olds. My little league team could go out there, field a team of eight-year-olds, not get a single person in the stands, and they will make a profit to yeah. And I think we could, when you look at it as a business and you look at the different models you can go about, because you're right. If they're already making money, the person buying it knows it's it's a proven money maker. Maybe, maybe throw you know a new owner comes in. I'm gonna throw a little more money into the team, get some people out there, make extra money on the back end. But eventually, he's gonna realize this money I'm spending is cutting in the overall profits for me. So let's scale it back a little bit. Almost kind of like um, remember Tommy the Marlins in the late '90s, early 2000s. They win two World Series. Really with nice yeah, yeah. Heisinga won it. Uh, sold the team. Loria comes in after that, wins one. And what did they do right after they won the World Series? They gutted the whole place. It's Like, I get it. There's all these different models you can go to, but there needs to be something that says, look, if you're not at least competitive, you're not going to get your share of this revenue or you're going to get a lesser share or, or whatever the case may be. And being competitive, I guess you would have to come up with some type of uh, rules or or whatever you think that standards you have to come to in order to be considered competitive but i tell you what a nine win team in cincinnati and this is another one they they just changed ownership tom nine wins pittsburgh we always you, always going to be there so you heard what the the new owner for the reds said right literally came on tv and said yeah and people were arguing they they, they you know having a, a problem with the way they're he said well if you don't like it then don't be a fan <laughs> that's great oh, oh. Oh, that, that now that makes me feel better. I mean, right. are we kidding? And, and think about this, Tim. Today, the Yankees played the White Sox, okay? Two very good teams, two very good uh, TV markets. The greatest pitcher in baseball right now pitched for the Yankees today. It was a big draw. It was on TV. 
the Pirates Reds game, both of them got a, a portion of that TV contract. Yeah. Both of them got a portion. I turned on the Yankees, White Sox today. I gave money to the Pittsburgh Pirates. And until they change that, that until they change the, the way it sets up, that it'll never be any different. You're right. There's always, in fact, you know, what's going to happen is you're going to see more teams start doing that, Tom. And it's always been the conversation, Tim. If you have a, a ceiling, you have to have a floor. Do I believe that there should be a ceiling in Major League Baseball? Sure. Okay. They've tried, right? I mean, they have tried to kind of have a luxury tax. The Yankees want to stay under the luxury tax, and the luxury tax structure gets really, really complicated. But they've tried to have that, um, but they've not done nothing with a floor. Nothing with a floor. The fact that Garrett Cole's earning the same amount of money as the entire Pittsburgh Pirates is, is a disgrace. It's a disgrace. And I'm not saying you have to have a floor of $100 million or something like that, but you have to have go out there and have a floor uh, of, I think a, a bare floor would be 75, 70, yeah. Right. I, you know, you have to look at the averages, you know, how, how much is each team, you know, bringing in, how much are you bringing in? All right. Well, you've got to, you got to at least pay, you know, more than your TV contract. I'm looking it up here as we were talking $44 million is the Pittsburgh Pirates TV contract, 44 million. Their salary was what, what did I say? 37. So if they, if they field a team of, of dogs, they make $7 million a year. If they put you know German shepherds and and huskies out there, they make they make seven million dollars a year. What's the Yankees? You know offhand. What the TV contract? What their salary is combined for the team? One what? Oh, it's not it's not what the uh, the Dodgers are. The Dodgers are the, are, uh, the most expensive. The Yankees, um, two hundred forty five million. Yeah, I, I would say if that's the Yankees are, are close to the top though. Right. So yes, the Dodgers are 263 just to give okay. you an idea. So I would say all... who's the commissioner again. I forgot his name. Oh, Manfred. Yeah. And I forgot his name on purpose, by the way, but Mets are 290 million. Okay. So if you're going to tell me that I'm the owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates and my payroll is 37 million, if, if I'm Manfred and I go to the owner and say, look, this is effective next season. If you don't at least feel the $75 million year team, you can't be an owner. I think that's more than fair to say that. That would, and, and it would be dramatically a different ball club as well, Tom. Think about that. Just doubling that payroll. They're a dramatically different team at that point. Tim, Francisco Lindor is making $34 million. Jacob deGrom is making $500,000 less than the entire Pittsburgh Pirates team, and he hasn't pitched this year. Max Scherzer is making $43.3 million this year. Max Scherzer is making $7 million more than the entire Pittsburgh Pirates team. $7 million more. Unfortunate, isn't it? Especially if you're a fan of those teams. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. And and, and the Major League Baseball average uh, – uh, profit rose 5.9% since last year. So they're making an extra about $4.14 million. Wow. <laughs> just just to, to give you an idea of uh, of this. Right. So it's, it's – so I, I know we're belating this uh, here, but Dodgers, Mets, Yankees, Phillies, 
Padres, one, two, three, four, five. Red Sox are right behind them. Um, all and, and White Sox, all all one fifty or above. Okay, um, the least, yeah, the Pirates. And now, now the by the way, your Baltimore Orioles, pretty pathetic as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was a team that used to spend. That was a team that used to spend, right? I mean, the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, you go out there and you go, yeah. I mean, here we go. Baltimore Orioles active payroll, Tim, thirty-three million. Doesn't, and it's a, what have we gotten out of it? We've hundred losses the last couple of years. <laughs> it is what it is, right? I mean, there's no way to defend it. I can't. Thirty-three million. So, so see, that's the thing. The Pirates are going, yeah, we stink, but guess what? We're not even the worst. The the Oakland A's are lower than the Pirates. The Baltimore Orioles are lower than the Pirates. Active roster for the Orioles is $33 million. That's insane. Here's the thing, and we already know what Pittsburgh's MO is, right? We already said it. Reynolds is going to be gone. Hayes is going to be gone. Baltimore has a lot of youngsters coming up here soon, and if they pan out, that's where you see whether the team's invested or not when they when it's time to sign these guys long-term. And we won't know until either A, it happens. That well, they let's do see Cedric Mullins. He's going to be up for a contract eventually, right? Yeah. He's your big popper right now. I don't I don't know. He's a little older, so I don't know if he's in the plans. I think maybe they that's the problem too with the formula is when you see an opportunity to, to take somebody that you don't feel is in your future plans and you could flip them and get younger guys. I mean, that's the bad thing about the analytical side of baseball is that they're always looking for what's the best deal, right, Tom? Not who the fans like or what may be best for chemistry. So well, Mullins is actually – he's arbitration year this year. He made 716000 Arbitration year next year, 2024-2025. He hasn't become an unrestricted free agent until he's 31 years old in 2026. Mm-hmm. They're not giving him a contract at that point. I don't think so either. No. But, hey, they're going to get three three good years out of this guy. Four, year, four, including this year. Four good years out of him. They keep paying him that arbitration. But, listen, you have a $33 million contract. You may not want to pay him arbitration. No, because that's going to start going up there. And unless he, in that, and even if they did pay him in that time period, unless he becomes a superstar, you're not paying him, right? It's, there's, and then you have to decide if he does become a superstar. Say he just explodes, Tom, which I know is not going to happen, but he explodes into this superstar in the next three years. That's where you see whether the team is for real or not. Because at the same time, right? Look, Rutschman's going to be up anytime soon. Now that's the number one prospect. I want to see how Gunnar Henderson is crushing it at the lower levels. Yeah. Pirates always had a great farm system, right? Orioles they had Derek Cole. Yeah. They had Cole and Tyon. I would. I was covering those teams, Tim. <laughs> I was covering those teams. But but here's the difference: when when those contracts came up, they can blow smoke up anyone's butt that they want. You and I both knew those guys weren't staying there. It was already a foregone conclusion because we've seen it happen the previous ten years. This, yes. Pittsburgh has been going on forever, right? Since the late – when was the last time they had a competitive team? Oh, it, it's been probably since uh, since Dale Swain uh, slid in, right? Or Sid Bream, I mean, slid in and couldn't quite get it, right? Crushed their dreams, yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe they had a good year here or there, but not competitively year after year. It hasn't been like that since, what, the, the mid to late 90s. That's the unfortunate thing is we knew that was happening. Now, now – it's not just that they don't have money, though. I want to point this out. 
It's that the Pirates organization is, is they're, they're full of morons and idiots because they traded on July 31st, 2018, they traded Tyler Glasnow, Austin Meadows, and Shane Boz for Chris Archer. Yeah. <laughs> the Tampa Fleece, right? Yes. Do you still have that that salary in front of you for Tampa? What's Tampa at? Do you do you have that in front of you? I can find out in about two seconds. Because because this was also we always talked about the small small mentality, small team mentality, and that they were always able to win. Yeah, they made smart moves. Yeah, you know, yeah, they made smart. I mean, that's they made smart moves. The Rays ninety two million. They're right in the middle. Okay, that's so fine. that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's spending. Okay. They've learned. They've learned over the years. Well, you know what they're doing here, Tim. You know why their their payroll kind of shot up? It's because they're signing these young guys to right. ridiculous, huge contracts. They right. signed Wander Franco to an eleven year, hundred eighty two million dollar contract. Right, and the guy had one year of service, right? Right, right. Yeah. They they signed Brandon Lowe to a six year, twenty four million dollar contract. No, look, it's not massive years, but they're that's what they're doing. They're taking these guys that have have never been in the majors or barely in the majors. And they're going, Hey, look, we're, we're going to give you huge, huge money. They're still owed. Uh, they still owe Evan Longoria $5 million a year because they signed him to one of those crazy contracts. And I say crazy in, a, in the best of ways, by the way, but not and crazy like Fernando Tatis crazy, which was just right. dumb. And we're okay with that. And, and that's the difference between them and Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. And hopefully Baltimore follows the Tampa trend and not the Pittsburgh trend. What Baltimore needs to do is they need to like, and I'm not. You're going to laugh at this, but it's the truth. They need to go sign uh, Rushman right now. Mm-hmm. Sign sign him to a deal right now. But see, it's also teams like Baltimore, teams like Pittsburgh, uh, teams like eventually like the Reds. You know what they do, Tim? Also, they they really tick off these players because they hold them down. They hold their service time down when they are way more than ready to be up. And they hold their service time down to to hurt them. And long term, you go, man, you're taking you're taking my livelihood away. You know, you're playing games with my career. You're playing games with my family. And, and now that sits bad. That's one of the reasons why Garrett Cole speaks poorly about Pittsburgh. He's like, you know, th- that's what they do to all these guys. Oh, they're ready to come up. Yeah, but we're not bringing you up yet. Yeah, we hold your service time, then we're going to nickel and dime you through arbitration, give you the, the minimum that you're or the max that you can get instead of just signing you. But then they want they cry foul when it's time for them to leave, and they don't even yes. want to. Now you're them. not loyal to me. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, okay. With that being said, Tommy, great show as always. Let everybody know about all the great things you're doing right now. I know you got a big week ahead of you. Yeah, huge week ahead, guys. Tom Barton, sports.com, 2-0 tonight. Had the under in the Calgary game and the over in the Milwaukee Brewer game. I got a baseball game up on the board already. Me and Tim were just talking about texting back and forth. Absolutely pumped up about what I'm doing. I am crushing it right now. I told you guys last night on the air. I told you my five plays. I hit four of the five plays. That's what we're doing at TomBartonSports.com. Go check that out. Also, go check out the podcast this week, Wagering Week, and, of course, Believe in Betting. Also, my Ivy League podcast. We're going to go over uh, the – the signings and everybody that uh, is, is coming over. we got some good high school players going to play in the Ivy Leagues in football this year. We're going to do that and the Believe in the Ivy League as well. And I'm going to get into you know a very not controversial topic at all, Tim, this week in on my YouTube channel. Should Colin Kaepernick be back in the league? Yeah, we'll talk about that at Tom Barton Sports over on YouTube as well. 
All right, my friend, we're back again next week, both nights again, Tom. We're back again both nights next week, so we look forward to talking with you then. Have a good night, everybody. For Tommy Barton, TomBartonSports.com. For Ryan, Tim Unglesby, appreciate you tuning in tonight. We'll be back at it Saturday, 10 o'clock, right here. Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Have a great week.